to Conversations for the Animals with Houston Pet Set. I am Lisa Tynan, and I am very excited today to be joined by Dr. Jonathan Cooper with Westbury Animal Hospital. Um, we're hoping to have a really great conversation about the state of veterinary medicine and the veterinary industry and, and how that is affecting vets and vet techs and pet owners alike. Um, so to start, if you could just jump right in, introduce yourself, tell us about your journey through veterinary medicine, how you got to where you are today. All right. Um, well, I um, went to high school here in Houston at Kincaid High School, and uh, I went to undergrad at A&M and was always interested in science, um, always interested in medicine growing up. Um, I didn't know that I was going to be a veterinarian until probably I stepped into veterinary school, which is not a usual path. Wow. Most kids are you know, they want to be veterinarians from the time they're little. Wasn't really my path, but um, I was always interested in medicine and science. After I uh, finished my undergrad, I started a PhD in veterinary physiology and pharmacology, and that's where I developed my interest in veterinary medicine. My mentor was a veterinarian with a PhD. So I just sort of applied to veterinary school and was fortunate to get in, and uh, probably the best thing that's ever happened to me in terms of, you know, business. And, um, after I graduated from veterinary school, just took another year or so to finish my dissertation and then uh, started practicing at a, one or two places um, until I ended up at Westbury Animal Hospital, which is uh, where I've been for since 1997. And um, um, just, I think, the most wonderful place to work. I have just great partners, great staff, wonderful clients. So it's, it's just been uh, a wonderful career for me. And it's great that you've had such a positive uh, path along the way. I know some some veterinary paths are a little bit more herky jerky, so it's uh-huh. it's good yeah. that you've you've landed in a place that you love. Um, I do. I want to talk a little bit about the current state of veterinary medicine and and how um, specifically how the pandemic has affected things, but sort of overall because people show up to the vet, they get their animals treated, they go home, they don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, sure. It, it's a struggle. I mean, not, like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, the pressures that are put on the veterinary industry um, are just unprecedented. And um, so it's it's stressful um, that the day in a veterinary, for veterinarian or uh, veterinary staff um, can be challenging from the moment you walk in the door until the time you leave. And so lots of stressors um, and different uh, opinions of what has happened during the pandemic. You know, the the early discussions was, well, all this increased businesses from adoptions and during the pandemic and people adopting pets. I think the reality is that um, there's probably a, some truth to that. But, you know, if you look at the, the actual data in terms of adoptions from uh, shelters were down during that, 2020 and 2021. And so really not it, that maybe contributes adoptions to a small percentage of it, but probably you know, during that time, um, there was not a lot of intakes to the shelters. And so um, certainly adoptions occurring through foster organizations, but probably adoptions alone can't account for this tremendous surge in business. And um, some of that now, I think, is just people catching up from what didn't occur during the start of the pandemic. Um, I think also people being at home more and being around their pets more, um, and just, uh, being aware that, oh, gosh, I need to get, you know, fluffy to the vet. Right. And, uh, and then also I think more services are being provided 
In part, I think because people have some discretionary income that maybe didn't go to travel or didn't go to eating out or doing things that they would have otherwise done. So what I see is, um, you know, more dentistry is more, hey, you know, we missed that last year. Can we do that? And so um, so it's, it's just a, a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of stresses there from a lot of services and um, a lot of people come through the door. So business has been booming, which is a good thing, but you've seen a lot of people maybe you haven't seen in many years and yeah. maybe people who've never taken their pet to a vet before that can, that can provide some friction. Yeah, correct. So just the, the volume is certainly there. Um, and then um, there are some inefficiencies I think that happen um, as a result of the pandemic, some of the curbside um, things that were going on where, Rather than people coming in the building, we were having to go out to the car, take a history. It's not the best environment to to get a history or talk to a client. It's hot outside. Uh, the you know pets are stressed, and we have to bring that animal inside, do our physical exam if it's X-rays or lab work, trying to communicate with the owner, um, going out back out of the car. So, um, I think the the biggest stresses or stressors are just the inefficiencies in the way we, pra- we practice now, um, and so what that's led to is some some burnout um some compassion fatigue um and so uh, that's that's been a real struggle so i want to i want to go a little bit that was a perfect segue mm-hmm. i want to go a little deeper into what compassion fatigue is because if somebody doesn't work in a caregiving industry like veterinary medicine they may have never heard that term before yeah. so talk a little bit about what is compassion fatigue and what what can cause it? What can be the result? Yeah. You know, I think our the people who gravitate towards veterinary medicine, if it's veterinary assistants and technicians, they're there because they love animals and they're compassionate, they're kind people, and they love animals. And so um, they're not there for um, a big paycheck. Um, right. They're there because they love animals. And so um, what happens in compassion fatigue is that um, – they're just it's just a stressful environment where there's a lot of challenges um, and there's sick animals. It's not just puppies and kitties. And so they come in, they've been hit by a car or um, torn up lacerations of some animal abuse. And that's hard. I mean, it's just and so at some point um, it just becomes tiring just at the end of the day, just sort of worn out. It's just it's just stressful. And and you can only. You only have so much to give. Right. And so that's how I, what I see. And and when somebody is suffering from compassion fatigue or from burnout, do they stay in the job or do they leave? Yeah. Another issue is that some people just, uh, they'll leave the profession um, or um, they won't. They, yeah. I, I think that's a, one of the more common issues that they'll leave the profession. And so that has created kind of a labor crisis amongst uh, veterinarians and veterinary support staff is is um, an exit. And some of the data right now shows that um, probably 40% of veterinarians are considering leaving the profession not for retirement. Um, and probably more so in younger veterinarians than older veterinarians. Um, and so uh, that's, uh, that's a staggering number when you consider 40% of veterinarians are considering stepping away from the profession um, before the retirement. And you ask some of those veterinarians um, and veterinary staff, would you do this again? And it's not always a rosy answer because it's not what sometimes what they thought they were getting into. Right. It's just unfortunate. It's very sad. I, I have friends who are veterinarians who, you know, when, when some, a young person in high school or college maybe is saying, oh, what do I do to become a veterinarian? And they say, don't. Yeah. 
and it's heartbreaking. And I'm yeah. I'm wondering if that on on the other end, incoming vets, if if there's a shortage there too, are people just not going to vet school anymore? I think they're still going, um, but you know, I think people are looking for a better work life balance, which is important. Um, and so right now, that that's a challenge finding a work. We have two opposing forces just colliding. You have people who want more of a work-life balance, which I strongly encourage, and you have this opposing force of this increased demand for services and and people trying to get in to see their veterinarian. So those two don't mix. Mm-hmm. And when those two collide, then you have a, a real problem. So there is some growth in, in the industry, but you're also seeing people who are wanting, like, I, I, I don't want to work 60 hours a week. I want to, you know, I've got a family. I've got kids. I've got a dog I want to get home to. And um, this is just pulling at me too hard. And and so that's a challenge. And do you think if if there's a struggle between work-life balance and there's a struggle between this, so many new people getting new pets or suddenly realizing, oh, I have to take care of uh-huh. my pet, where do you see a solution? Yeah. How, how do you make everything balance out so that there are enough vets for the number of pets? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a complex problem. And so I think the the solution isn't just pouring more veterinarians into the into the um, mix because that that will take years and years and years. Um, and pouring more support staff in, it probably is not the answer, but leveraging those those staff or those employees to be more efficient, um, I think is a part of the solution. Um, using technology to um, to be more efficient. If it's telemedicine, if it's uh, leveraging staff, if it's technology, collectively, hopefully that makes this environment um, more appealing and hopefully a little bit better for everybody. Yeah. And, and one of the things I wanted to ask about, and this this is more about, you know, Westbury specifically um, and, and your experience, you know, we're fortunate to have Westbury Animal Hospital as a partner for Houston PetSet. And, and one of the services that you help us with is seeing animals who have been pulled off the street or who have been abused or who even are coming in from domestic violence mm-hmm. situations. And so maybe not every, you know, city veterinarian or, or rural vet is seeing that that kind of uh, trauma, really. Yeah. And how is that affecting your clinic? And, and how, what do you want people to know about that kind of work you're doing? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I think our situation is a little different than others in that we have an ICU and it's 24-hour care and we will see just about anything that comes to the door. So on a Saturday or Sunday, if it's, you know, 30 emergencies that come through, um, it, it can be trying. So perhaps um, other veterinarians, are their experience might be a little bit different than, than mine or ours, but our experience is we, we see a lot of cases and some of those are, are challenging cases or complicated cases and they come in at two in the morning or at midnight or whenever um, and it can be a mixed bag. It can be vomiting or diarrhea or it can be a gunshot or it right. can be a, just a horrible abuse case. And so um, one thing that is, I just hope people can understand is just to be patient. Um, and it could be 30 minutes or it could be four hours. And we need to set their expectations to say it's going to it's going to be a little bit. We're trying to triage all these cases. And um, but so if people, I think, understand what we're dealing with behind the curtains, you know, when we say we're going to take this dog to the back, what does that mean? It's organized chaos <laughs> and there's a lot going on. And so just if people can be uh, understanding what we're dealing with um, with this um, influx of, of cases. 
I think just be nice. Right? Just be just nice. Be nice. <laughs> just be nice. I don't know when that fell out of favor, but just be kind and be nice. I think it's difficult for people when, um, when, when they don't, for us at least, when people don't understand what we're up against and being, um, sometimes people are just not pleasant. Yeah. And they'll use social media to be not pleasant. And that can really be, that can be difficult for young veterans and old veterans when you're trying so hard and you, know, you put your heart and soul into this case and um, it doesn't go well or the, the outcomes are not always great. And that's hard. And then to, to sometimes uh, that not be appreciated either by uh, financially not being compensated or just people not being um uh, aware of, of, of the challenges we're up against. I, I want to just briefly touch on it because it is a it is a difficult subject to talk about, but um, some of our listeners might not know that veterinarians as a profession are uh, the number one profession most likely to die by suicide. And that can be shocking if someone has never heard that before. Do you think what you just talked about contributes to that? Um, I, I think it plays a role for sure. And I, I, I know veterinarians have left this profession or gone on to work in different aspects of the profession because of those stressors. And it just pushed people away. And, um, you know, everyone has a breaking point and um, there's, it's just very, very sad. And that's a reality. It's um, the suicide rate is probably three times higher than most any other profession. And you wonder why is that? And it's because of the stress that's, that's placed on veterinarians. And um, we, I think I can only surmise it under that much duress. You know, we relieve pain and suffering every day. I mean, every day there's a euthanasia and, and that's an act of kindness and an act of love. And it's letting this creature that's suffering um, be in a better place. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine that someone who's suffering and is struggling and we see that as as an out, and mm -hmm. I would. It's just very sad, and um, certainly that group, not one more vet, um, mm -hmm. pushed very hard um, to try to combat that, and um, it, it's 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 unfortunate. If if anyone is is curious, the group you just mentioned is a it's a nonprofit organization. It's called Not One More Vet, and the goal is to give folks an outlet, someplace they can feel safe and talk, and and hopefully avoid. Right. Sure. Any more suicides in the profession. So I encourage people to look that up and see what's going on and understand. And maybe that will help them be a little bit more compassionate and kinder towards their veterinarians and veterinary staff. I hope so, too. Yeah. So on a brighter note, yes. so we, we, I want to end this on a, a positive note because we're talking to pet owners and uh -huh. we're talking to people who maybe are new pet owners. Who uh -huh. Just because, like you said, the pandemic, there are a lot of new pets coming in. Some We don't know where they're coming from, but yeah, they're uh -huh. there. Um, <clears throat> if somebody's you know, just got a new pet or there, maybe this is the first time since they were a kid. What should they keep in mind as a new pet owner? What's, you know, what's a veterinary schedule? What do they need to pay attention to? When should they come see you? When should they say, oh, it's okay, I can watch and see? Sure, sure. You know, as a, if they've adopted a puppy recently, I, um, it would be a good idea to have that pet examined and um, have a veterinarian do a thorough exam and nose to tail and establish a relationship with a veterinarian and someone that you feel comfortable with that you can relate to. And so, um, Shortly after getting a new uh, pet, I would strongly encourage him to to have that pet checked out, immunized, so vaccines are important. Um, and then uh, as far as when that pet needs to be seen, um, is it, if it's sick or not, 
I feel like if it's important to them, it's important to me. So if you see something that you're concerned about, call, come in. Um, I, I learned that a long time ago. If it's important to them, it's important to me. And so um, don't hesitate to call and, um, and, and come, in, come in. I know I'm one of those pet owners where I, as soon as something is wrong, I'm like, I call my vet or I email yeah. them. They're great about email. <laughs> and I'm like, I know this is like the sixth time you've heard from me in a couple of weeks. But I, I, you know, I think from the other side, I'd rather know that I have pet parents who are observing their pets and taking sure. care of them than someone who's not paying attention 100%. at all. Yeah, absolutely. I want someone who's invested in this mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and we want to be invested with them. Absolutely. Well, I cannot tell you how appreciative I am for you joining us today. Um, You know, I'm I'm filling in for Tina and Tama, and so you you got the B team here. (laughs) Doing a great job. (laughs) But but we're really grateful, not just for you being here, but for your partnership with Westbury Animal Hospital and with Houston Pet Set, and hopefully together and and with the folks listening, we can all make Houston a better city for animals and and for pet parents. So. Thank you so much. And uh, for folks who are maybe looking for a new vet, there's Westbury <laughs> Animal Hospital. They're yeah. fantastic down in Bel Air. Thank you. Um, and, Thank you. And keep an eye on it. And, and we're so grateful. Thank you, Dr. Thank Cooper. you. Thank you. And Houston Pet Set is a wonderful organization. Thank I, you. I, really, y'all do a great job. We're, we're just happy to help. And, yeah. and we, we know Houston needs it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it.